visitors, you can see why I'm so thankful to be a part of this family. And I've just wondered, where can we go from this place except to the one thing that is better, and that is hearing our Father's word, hearing our Father's word. Uh, Remembering, if you looked in our worship folder, you'll be able to hear this orchestra and Alex and Dwayne. Is that on the 20th, I think, Dwayne, isn't it? I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Ephesians. This will be the section this week that I want you to memorize. And today, in a text that is so filled with thrill and exhilaration, there are also some words that many Christians have struggled with. And so we want to hear what our Father has to say, don't we? So let us stand. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, remembering that we are going to be hearing, by His grace, the word of the maker of the universe and our heavenly Father. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace And peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Do you know the musical Annie? Um, I was trying to think about how to communicate how we should feel even coming into this church family today. And what what came to mind is this one section in the musical Annie, Little Orphan Annie. She had been in that awful, awful orphanage her whole life, uh, passed over, I'm sure, again and again, never being able to be adopted. She was a bit impish, maybe a little bit overly energetic until, until uh, one day she was the one chosen to spend Christmas at, of all places, the richest and most powerful man in the entire town, Daddy Warbucks. If you haven't watched it, you need to. Go home afterwards. Not now. Don't go home now. But go home and you are going to see she walks into that incredible mansion. And as she walks in, immediately everybody who was there in that, in that home loved her at first sight. You remember that? And they start breaking out into singing because they're so glad she... I, hopefully when you walked in, that's what happened here today. That's what it, They were so thrilled. And she kept wondering, but what am I going to have to do here? Surely thinking she's just going to be there more of us as a servant or slave. And they said, well, you're supposed to have fun. There's a swimming pool here, a swimming pool. There are tennis courts, but I can't play. We have an instructor. See, that's why I like this uh, musical. You know, I love tennis. I, I just need that instructor. 
Then over and over again, as all of this amazing thing happens, she says, I think I'm going to like it here. I think I'm going to like it here. Um, The part that I really enjoy is when she walks into the bedroom, that incredible room where she's going to be sleeping, and then she sings, I used to room in a tomb where I'd sit and freeze. Won't somebody pinch me, please? I think I'm going to like it here. Now, I'll tell you, I think that is the feeling that every one of us should have when we walk into this family space. Yes, I know we call it a worship center, but it really is simply the place where God's people gather into this home space. And we look around and see all of these people. Not a one of us has earned our way to be here, right? Each one of us has acknowledged that we've fallen short, and each one of us has found forgiveness, hope, and it's been in Christ, and we are so grateful, number one, that we offer our praise and thanks to God, amen? And number two, that when we see others walking in, we can say to them, welcome to the family, and they say, what do we have to do? Well, just join us in praise and thanks, that's what we want you to do. I had thought, how am I going to portray that? I had wanted to put together sort of a ministry council dance team to sort of welcome us. But I thought maybe we're not ready for that. Maybe we're not ready for that. But if you can somehow get that sense that's so different from the way most people think about the life of a local church, if somehow you can get that sense, then I think you might begin to understand a little bit of the book of Ephesians. Because I'm telling you, the one who wrote it, the Apostle Paul, even at the end of his life, He knew what he'd been before he came to Christ. Do you remember what he would say? If you look at me, I was the worst of sinners. I was the chief. But now I've learned that's why Jesus came. He came into this world to save people just like me. I used, I think he would have sung, I used to room in a tomb. Won't somebody pinch me, please? I get to know the Heavenly Father, the maker of the universe, and I had the privilege of being in his family. And that brings us to this opening text where even though he doesn't sing over and over again, I think I'm going to like it here. He sings something so much better. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to our Father who has blessed us in the heavenly, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ because, believe it or not, he chose us in Christ to be in his family. I, I think we should like it here. I think we should be filled with praise. And when you look at verse 7, you see that that whole notion that that Annie talks about. I, I was in a tomb. He uses words like redemption. Do you see it there? Redemption. Which means we were in slavery. Our lives were not what they should be. We had no hope. And God says, I love you anyway, and I'm going to pull you out of there. And I'm going to bless you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What is that? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. We know it's good, right? We know it's good. It has to be spiritual because it's only something that the Spirit of God can give. It's heavenly because those things that are going to last forever are things that now He brings into our lives. And it sort of centers in this notion that those of us who are far away from God have been called by God Himself to come into His family. And today I want us to begin to think about that. That this wonderful news that we celebrate began with our Heavenly Father who has loved us and loved you with an everlasting love. A couple of points I just want to make. Number one, this whole idea of a family that we get to be a part of, you know, it it fills Ephesians 1, 1 to 8. 
He has predestined us to be adopted as his sons or as his children through Jesus Christ. This family is God's idea. That's the first thing I want you to know. And it's not a new one for him. You see in verse 4, this thing that we're praising him for, this was God's goal and intention from eternity past before the creation of the world. God said, in this broken, difficult world, in this world, and I think especially as he would look at 21st century Southern California, he says, all around you, don't you see it? There are people who've never experienced unconditional love, never experienced a time where people said, those things that you did in the past, they're gone. I'm not going to bring them up again. I, John and I were talking that one line, Marion, that, that, that you read from God's word, that he will not punish us as our sins deserve. I sat, sat there and said, thank you. I am so thankful for that. Don't you feel that way? But there are people in our world who've never experienced someone just saying that that thing that happened back there, it's gone. Welcome again. And God said, in this world, I'm going to establish a family where broken people, hurting people. And especially people divided from God and from one another will come into one family and in that place experience blessings that go beyond imagination and a love that can never be shaken. I'll tell you, it's not my idea. It surely is not my idea. I would have never had an idea like this to to be able to have a family. I mean, that image, a family and of people from all over the world. And as you look around even our own congregation here and you see the differences in ages, uh, you see the different, you know, even though we may not know one another well, the differences in backgrounds, the differences in personalities. God says, those are the kind of people I want in my family. And even though the eyes of people may say they're all so, so different, I'm going to do a work in them until when I'm done. That this family is going to bring praise and glory to my name. That, that's the first thing I want us to see. Whenever you ask, okay, pastor, what is your vision for the church? The answer I say is somehow to see what God's vision of his family is. And then by his grace and through his power to have the Lake Avenue church family look like the family of our father. Because the church is not my idea or yours, right? It is his. Second, I don't know if you're going to like this. But this family is filled with unexpected and very unlikely people. Uh, God calls people to be in his family that maybe you and I wouldn't want to be in the family. But then when we think about it, it means that we get to be in two, right? <laughs> I, I think about the early church and it was like that. I, would you have wanted to have been in that family with Paul? I mean, sometimes the early church people, they were already scared of Paul because, you know, he'd been, he'd been killing them. Read the book of Acts. And the first time he came in and got to meet his family, they, they didn't know. They, would you want to be in a family with a person like the Apostle Paul? Read through the people that Jesus chose to be his, uh, to be his apostles. A political zealot. I wonder whether he would be red or blue. Simon was in that group. Levi, a tax collector. Oh man, one of the most hated people in all, among all of his people. And yet here they were in this one family of God. An unexpected, unlikely group. And when we have a gathering like we have this, this morning, the more diverse, the more unexpected, the more unlikely we are, when we can actually worship God together, when we can learn to serve God together, and, and the people of Pasadena see it, more and more they are going to see the power of God among us, because this just isn't what happens in our world. 
Because you see, the church is not a social club, right? Though I'm hoping that some good social things happen here. When we have Dodger night on the 19th, that seems like more of a social event than a worship event. It feels like that. Uh, but, but hopefully, hopefully it will be at some good social time where we get to know one another. Uh, next week, uh, as we have the bounce, as Pastor Chuck bounces around in that bouncing place. It'll be a social time. But the heart of this is not a social club. Nor is it an entertainment center. Oh, I'm so thrilled with the, the music that is here. I think that the gifts we have, they're all given by God, so we should use them to the best of the ability that God gives. And when he gives gifts like he has to this church, to use them and, and to experience what we have is something that should give praise to God. But the, the center of a church is not simply to be a place where I've, I really enjoyed that. What is the church? It is a family that has been called together by God. Not a one of us deserves to be there. We are united. How? What unites us? Two things. One, the bad news. Uh, Every one of us is in trouble. <laughs> Verse 7. Every one of us, our own pattern of life would not be honoring to God. We weren't ready to meet him. Every one of us, verse 7, needs forgiveness of sins. We needed it. Uh, so we're united by that. When we received communion today, not a one of us could look down there and say, you know, those people in that second row, they really need that blood of Christ and body of Christ. Huh, I'm glad that I'm, I'm pretty perfect. Not a one of us says that, right? When we receive it, we say, thank you, Lord. I, I can't believe I have the opportunity to know you. So we're knit together by our common need of forgiveness and grace. And we are knit together because we found it through faith in Christ. And so when we gather in here, we as a family find such joy in saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us. We didn't deserve it. But he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us to be in his family. It's an unlikely, unexpected group. And the more unlikely and unexpected it is, the more joyous we will be, I think, because we'll know that he did it. Third, this family has been called into being by God. He's the one who did what needed to be done to bring about this family. As Paul will say in Ephesians 2.10, we'll see it later, we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. To do good works, to have our lives to be changed. So, yes, it was always God's plan. Before we ever existed, God says, I'm going to do it. So he's the one who had to bring it about. It makes sense to you, doesn't it? Have you ever seen a child being able to turn to a parent and say, you know, you're in this world because of me? It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Children, we all know that we're in this world because of our parents' agency. And yet, at the same time, we know that they had to have parents, too. And at the end of the day, when we gather as a family, we say, who started this thing? And God says, I started this thing. I have chosen to have a family and to bring it about, to bring sinful, en enslaved people into the family of God. Verse 7, we needed this. We needed redemption, and it was costly through his blood. So this, being in this family is a beautiful thing. But we're always going to be humbled, aren't we? Because we know what God had to do to forgive us and bring us in. So it's going to be costly. But it is, it is a wonderful thing. And I, and I love the way I tried to read it so you'd feel it. It's because of God's grace. We don't deserve it. Verse 8. That he lavished. Just pours it out uh, on us. 
to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, family members at Lake Avenue Church, I'm starting my second year. And I hope you do know that I really love you. And I, I do it enough that we can stop occasionally, sort of have a pastoral chat. Because when we come to this point, I almost have to do a parenthesis in the sermon. Because there's something in this text that has divided God's children. It's supposed to unite us. But it has divided God's family for generations. And that is these words like, he chose. He predestined. Did you notice those words? I was trying to look out to see which ones of you were flinching. I was reading people who don't go to church very often. This has been an issue where God's people have, have, have disagreed about. And, and because it goes beyond, in many ways, our understanding. Uh, it's really not just an issue that Christians have to wrestle with. If you read history and philosophy throughout the ages, people have always had to deal with this. What happens? Are our lives driven by fate? Uh, are we just like machines that, that our lives make no difference in this world? Uh, do we have any freedom or is everything predetermined? Uh, you find this throughout literature in every culture and every society, this question. For us as Christians, of course, there's so much at stake. The Bible lets us know here that God has a plan that he is going to bring to completion. And that's the only thing that gives us any security that goodness will prevail. If that would not happen, we would have no confidence here today. So we must have a God who is at work and who has said, at the end of the day, you will see my triumph, my power and my goodness. On the other side, we have this difficult issue. But wait a minute. Doesn't my life make any difference? Does prayer matter to me? Uh, do I have to believe? Do I have to abide? Or, or is all of this sort of just locked in? You see, great Christians throughout history have disagreed on, on this. On one side, emphasizing the, the sovereignty and the power of God have been people like St. Augustine and John, John Calvin and John Knox and Jonathan Edwards in our own country. And on the other side, uh, great men of God like uh, Jacob Arminius and, and, and John Wesley and, and, and uh, Francis Asbury and so many. So what is your pastor going to say where you know the time is just about to draw to an end? Well, I'm just going to say a few words to give us, I think, the, the range in which we have to discuss this. Because I'll tell you, this issue dare not divide the people of God. Because the very book that we are looking at tells us that it's through the unity of the family of God that the grace and power of God is declared to this world. So I just wrote down a couple of statements. You can hold these. You can chew on them. We want you to get a journal and start thinking about them. Because in many ways, it should give you praise to God because it goes beyond what we can fully fathom, but a couple of statements. Number one, when we read Ephesians 1, it's talking about salvation from God's perspective, uh, not from ours. It, it's telling us that God always had a plan. We can be confident of that. It's from eternity past. He chose and he's going to do what he said he would do. Now, our problem is we, come, we, we want to say, let's look at it more from our perspective. Do we have a role? But Ephesians, this first part, is all written from God's perspective. Um, and you know that when you look at things from different perspectives, it gives you a, a different way of, of considering it. Uh, this last week, uh, my son Brandon and I were driving around on Monday uh, all around town doing errands. And I was sitting in the passenger seat. I kept looking over and saying, Brandon, don't, don't you think we should uh, get some gas? <laughs> Brandon, uh, don't you think we should stop and get some gasoline? Well, why don't we run over to Target, too? Brandon, don't you think we should get some gasoline? He said, Dad, you're looking from the wrong perspective. You know how it is. You look from one perspective, and it looks like it's absolutely empty. 
But if you get the way it's supposed to be and you look at it from where the driver is driving. Oh, oh, okay, sure. Keep going. We still have some in there. Do you know what I'm getting at there? So sometimes when we simply look at things from our perspective, there are things that seem frustrating to us. But here, Ephesians is trying to give us a chance to point us to see things from God's perspective, to know that we can be confident because our father has had before eternity, uh, before creation, a plan that he's going to work out. Number two, the problem is it's hard for us to see from God's perspective. (laughs) We're so limited. Uh, We can't see from. So the problem is our limitation. And it's not a matter of whether God is just, which is what always comes up. The problem is our limitation. As a man said to me last night, what it is, is three-dimensional people trying to see an omnidimensional God. It's like an artist trying to paint three dimensions with with a two-dimensional canvas. You can point to things, but you can't always see it fully. From God's perspective, you know, he's outside of time and space. He's just not living. We can't even think like that. We always think, what came first? God says, well, I created time. We, we, can't even, we can't even fathom that. So, from an eternal perspective, God who is transcendent beyond time and space, we can be confident and trust that even the difficult times we walk through, God has a plan that he's working out. But I'll tell you, God is also, and the theological word is imminent. He works in time and space. He's involved in our lives. And on that plane, we have the constant, consistent biblical language That we have the responsibility to believe. We are called upon to pray and assured that prayer makes a difference. We are called upon to give witness to others and believe that they will be able to respond. And we are called upon to abide. But the problem is that we can't always fully see how those two things fit together. It's not a contradiction. It's just that we cannot see in the omnidimensional sense that God is. Third point. The main point of this passage in Ephesians is that it's all God's doing. Again, children can't say, Dad and Mom, you're in this family because of me. We are in this family because of what God has done, and he tells us you must say yes. But that's not supposed to be a work. He promises he'll bring it to completion. But but the emphasis that you you and I, when we gather and read Ephesians 1, should have is, Father, thank you, kind of like Andy, that, that you wanted me in your family. That you sent your son for me. I can't believe it. Thank you. That should be the emphasis instead of going out and saying, how does all of that work together? In fact, if sometimes our minds are boggling and confused because of it, saying, God is sure greater than I am. It's probably a good thing. The moment you and I think we have him all figured out and have that little box that we put God in, we have not seen him fully. But that brings me to the issue that's always brought up, and I have to say a word about it. And that is people say, okay, I can accept that with regard to me because after all, I made it this morning to the Lake Avenue Church and I get to hear this message about the good news of Jesus and all that God has done and his love for me. But what about those who never are able to come into a place like this? Will God be loving and just with them? Isn't that the question we ask? Well, I'll say this. I I do know that we find it hard to trust God with that. But listen to me very carefully. And this principle, I think, applies not just to this question about what about them, but also to areas of our lives where things happen that we cannot understand. That God is both just and loving. 
and that throughout eternity we're always going to know that that is true. If that is not true, God is not God, and heaven will not be heaven because God isn't trustworthy. We will not look back once we see more as God sees. We're not going to look back and say God is unjust. God is both just and loving. We know he's been that way with us, right? That's what's brought us here. That's what made us celebrate uh, the communion table today. But God will be just as just and loving, both of those things, with everyone else too. It's just we don't always see how he's working with them. It's the same thing, John chapter 21. God was dealing with Peter, remember? And then after the resurrection, Peter looked over at this disciple that Jesus loves, probably John. And he says, but Jesus, what about him? And do you remember what Jesus says? Essentially, uh, that relationship between me and him, that's ours. Uh, I'll do what's just and right and loving with him. But you, Peter, you follow. Uh, C.S. Lewis captured that in one of his children's books. It's interesting that children can sometimes grasp this matter of trusting that there's more than they understand, more than we do as adults, right? And it's in his book, The Horse and His Boy. Have you ever read it? One of the main characters is Shasta, uh, the, the boy who was there. He had been forced to team up with this girl that he didn't like named uh, Erebus. But, and at the end of his time, it had gone through many, many trials. The lion, who's the Christ figure, Aslan, meets with him. And he assures that, that in every situation he had been there. He, he, had, he had been there to help him in the house of the dead. He had driven the jackals away. He had strengthened his horses. On and on again, Shasta, I protected you. But then... Shasta looked and thought about Erebus. But life hasn't gone well for her, he said. In fact, he found out that the lion had been responsible for some of her pain. And he said, what about her? That doesn't seem just. And this comment, I I, I think, is so good. Aslan says, child, I am telling you your own story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Now, if this still troubles you, the only thing that I would want to say is that you have to learn to trust that both in your life as well as in the lives of others, that our God has demonstrated himself to be just and loving. And I ask you to trust him. Final point. I I do see there are two boundaries. Now, we have such differences about this theologically. That's why I walked in with some fear and trembling into this topic. But after you applauded for us so long, I had less. But I'll tell you, if you if you emphasize one side, either God's sovereignty or much more human responsibility, what are the boundaries that would keep us from going too far one way or the other? And there are two that I've always held on to. They might be helpful to you. On one side, I keep thinking there's no boasting in heaven. Those of you who come from more Arminian Wesleyan type backgrounds, there's going to, not going to be any boasting in heaven. <laughs> and, and the Bible's consistent about that. Sometimes we've even turned faith. into a work so that we think that in heaven we'll think you know I believed and my sister didn't as if we're better no 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 faith in the Bible is just falling in trust upon what he has done it's his work Uh, faith is, is something we're just so grateful to be able to engage it no boasting in heaven it is by grace you and I have been saved yeah it's through faith but even that not of ourselves this is a gift of God not of works in case anyone should don't do it except in what God has done The other side is, and that is for those who are more on the reform side, whosoever believes in Jesus will be saved. 
And the call of the gospel goes out to all. Whosoever believes will be saved. Sometimes we emphasize the sovereignty of God so much that we can't even use the basic biblical language. Believe. Pray. Obey. Abide. And know that on this plane that we live on, God gives us the responsibility and the ability to do so. I'll tell you, if you hold these two together, no boasting on one side, using the Bible's language of believe, obey, and abide, you probably won't fall into heresy. See, on one side, we can be confident. Our Father is at work. Goodness will prevail. Praise be to the Father. This isn't a haphazard, random world. On the other side, the call goes out, whosoever will may come. End of parenthesis. Now, really, the time is about gone, and I want to think about our family one last time. One last point about this family that God's bringing about, and here it is. This family, and we're just one local representation of it. This family is a a privilege to be in. It is a blessing of grace from God. We don't deserve to be here, but God loved us. He wants you in his family. And here I'll just point you to to several words. Why did he want us in his family? Why did he do do this? And the only words I can point you to are the very ones that God uses in his word. The first one in verse 4, in love. Let's write it down. In love. Annie walked into that house and was loved at first sight. And what God tells us is that he loved us before we were even a sight. Before the creation of the world. And and the whole Bible talks about this. It's while you and I were sinners that Christ died for us. It's not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us. Hallelujah. Second phrase in verse 5. In accordance with his pleasure and will. It's just... How could that be? Bringing together this family and calling us into it uh, is something that brings pleasure to God. We are his joy. I suppose I can understand it a little bit. I I think about going sometimes to my children's uh, classrooms and when I would hear they were doing well, uh, when I go to their music uh, concerts or when I go to their sporting events and found out they were doing well. Parents, our hearts soar, don't they? We have pleasure in our family. Some way far beyond that. Uh, When this family gathers and we worship him together, and when we serve him as one body, it brings pleasure to God. And and, and the phrase, so much joy and pleasure, that that's why Jesus was willing to bear the sins of the world on the cross. Hebrews 12.2 Let us as a family fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the one who's the author of this. He's the one who brings it to completion, the perfecter of our faith. And then this line, who for the joy, who for the joy set before him endured a cross. How can we be a joy that is so great that Jesus was willing to endure a cross? We just have to believe that we are and thank our father. And then the third line, verse verse eight, and he did it with all wisdom and understanding which simply says we're not here by chance. He knew what he was doing. He wanted this family, this global family. God wanted to have a, a local representation of his family right here at 393 North Lake Avenue. And, and he wanted you to be in it. It was according 
to his wisdom and understanding. And, and, and the invitation comes to you if, if you come in today and says, what Jesus did on the cross, yes, it's for this other group of guilty people who've given their guilt and sins to me, but it's for you too. And we say, Father, what do I have to do? And he says, you have to say yes to what I have done. I'll close with this story. Uh, back when I was a student at Wheaton College, I, I took a sociology course from a teacher who had actually become a friend. I was trying to get hold of him to ask him permission to use this story. His name is Pius Wakatama. He's a journalist now in Zimbabwe, and I've just heard he's been imprisoned because of his faith. So, it's, uh, so I didn't get his permission, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, but one day in our sociology class, we were talking about this matter of adoption and how adoption in the Bible was different from adoption in the United States. In the United States, we often like to adopt children because we, we have a very children-friendly culture as, in general. But in much of the world, it wasn't that way. Children were not valued, and that was true in the Bible's day, too. And often children were only adopted because a person couldn't have an heir. So they would adopt a child to find a way to pass on all of their belongings. And uh, Pius was saying, well, that's largely the way it was in my tribe, but not quite. Sometimes people would adopt children, but usually only the ones that looked to their eyes to be perfect, you know, no flaws. And one other young man from a different country in Africa who said, that was my experience. And here, I, I, I took notes, so I'll tell you, I'll read you the notes. He said, the only children who were ever adopted among my people were the very cute children who had no perceptible flaws. I was 13 when I was adopted into my family. And it was a very prominent church family. He said, by then, I'd been passed over again and again in the orphanage. And I'd become so cynical that I'd become known as a troublemaker. So I thought there was never a time that I would ever be adopted. And as you can now see, he said, I am not and never was cute. <laughs> but he said, after this one family visited, I was called into the adoption agency's office and was told that this esteemed family had chosen me to be their son. And they were going to give me all the rights of a son. I was stunned. I was sure it was a cruel hoax. But they were serious. Why me, I asked. Because, for some reason, they said, we loved you the first time we saw you. But what do you want me to do? Expecting I'd just become a servant. What do, you want, what do we want you to do? We want you to say yes. Please. Say yes. So what do you and I do when we have an offer like that? What do you and I do when you walk into a church family and we know that what this other group of anxiety-filled, guilt-ridden people, uh, but they have given up their anxiety uh, and guilt, put it in garbage bags and taken it away, <laughs> found a new life. What do we do when we hear you were asked to come into the family too. If your pastor has said it at all the way that Paul is saying, we say, I want in. What do I have to do to be a part of that? And do you know what God the Father says? Just say yes. It's my work. Say yes and rejoice. And I think that uh, those of us who have experienced that, and those of you who will, you might sing like Annie did. Uh, I used to room in a tomb 
where I'd sit and freeze. Won't somebody pinch me, please? I know I'm going to like it here. Or maybe we'll do it the way that Paul did it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, this unlikely group, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be in his unexpected family. To the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, now I pray that I've been faithful to your word. Where I have anointed and empowered it, do your work in our hearts. Father, for those of us who have known you a long time, rekindle our love of you, deepen our gratitude, take away those calluses, that again we may dance and sing and rejoice for the privilege of being in this local church family. And Father, for others who come and somehow know that you are real but have never been able to know you as Father, may this be their day of trusting Jesus and entering into your family. In Jesus' name.